ESPN The Far Post podcast. We are back and it is almost time for the Women's World Cup. So naturally, we have to kick into some preview pods. We are so excited after our girl rest to actually start tackling the World Cup head on. And we're starting with a preview of every single group. So obviously, we will start at the beginning with Group A. We can't wait to chat. There's so much to chat about and it's just, we're really excited. It's just basically going to be about a month's worth of very excited energy coming out of us. But before we begin today's preview of Group A, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So for this Group A preview, you have me, Marissa Vlodanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and friend of the pod and stuff sports journalist from New Zealand. Zealand, Phil Rollo. So Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Oh good. Yeah, I've listened to this podcast so many times, so it's good to be on. We're stoked to I'm, have you on. I'm just wrapped he did an open with the gloating line about India Page Riley <laughs> switching over to the fence. He would have had every right to, Phil. You could have you could have just come in off the long run and gone, get stuffed. We got I mean, he's a professional. Sure Sam's, Sam's gloating over the years. I reckon you would have been very much entitled to to come in hot with that. Well, it's, it's yeah, rare that New Zealand gets a win over. <laughs> so, um, but, um, yeah, it's funny with, with her because, um, yeah, like Tom Samani had been trying to get her to play for, for New Zealand and then there was a coaching change and when Yitka Klimkova took over, like she didn't even know she existed. So, like, it actually took a bit of media pressure to, um, to get her on board. So I reckon I can claim an assist on, on that one. <laughs> I think you can, and you absolutely should. We will probably talk about Indy and all of the other football ferns a little bit later, but we start with kind of a broad sort of look at this football ferns team heading into this Women's World Cup. And the question that I wanted to ask, like straight off the bat, the ferns have never won a game at a Women's World Cup. Is this the year where they win a game in the group stage at the World Cup? On a positive note. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely should be. I mean, as co-hosts, like they'll never have an easier group, and especially with the World Cup expanding to thirty-two teams as well. Like it's probably not often New Zealand has a team that's ranked way below them in in the group. So that game against the Philippines is definitely the game they they could win. But you know, the Philippines are on a good run at the moment, um, so it's definitely not going to be an an easy one or or a given. And the football fans have really struggled for results. Like they haven't won in their last ten games going into this tournament they barely score any goals so um i still think despite all that that game against the philippines 100 percent should be targeting for that first win um i'm sure the philippines are targeting it as well and if you win that you know who knows you know what will happen in that final game against switzerland and all of a sudden you could actually find yourself in the, the knockout stages is there how is the actual vibe with this team, Phil, because it feels like at times when you see the results and a couple of tough ones over this past sort of six months, like there is a little bit of doom and gloom compared to, say, the Matildas who had that maybe a year ago and they've sort of gone on that upward tra- trajectory. It feels like maybe after some initial optimism, it's it's very much, at the very least, tempered, if not copped a fair whack. Yeah, it's, there's definitely not too much hope around this New Zealand team, if I'm being totally honest. Like, one thing that was really interesting is after they got the World Cup, they were playing with really good teams like they played the US at home outside of a FIFA window and got smoked so um, when they then came to play teams that were sort of on their level like Argentina, Portugal, Nigeria it was like okay these are the games they're going to win and they're going to 
you know, build a bit of momentum. And Portugal beat them 5-0 in New Zealand. You know, they lost to Argentina. They lost 3-0 to Nigeria. Um, so those results have really, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to be optimistic about their chances on, on the back of that sort of run. But as I say, like, there's still that game against the Philippines. They beat the Philippines last time they played them. So regardless, they still can create history, but I just don't think they're going to go into this tournament with any sort of confidence that they're going to yeah, go into the, the knockout stage or anything like How that. How would you diagnose the issues with the team at the moment, Phil? Like, is there one particular thing that sticks out or is there, like, multiple things that are coalescing in uh, this, this poor run of form heading into the tournament? Yeah, like the lack of goals is definitely a big concern. Um, like Hannah Wilkinson is, you know, like a nailed-on starter, but has really struggled for goals at international level. I think like during the run where they haven't won in ten games, they've scored like two goals. <laughs> like they, yeah, they just really struggle. There's not too many options behind Hannah Wilkinson. Like Grace Jarley and Millie Clegg have both been playing sort of wider roles. And it's funny with Millie Clegg, like she's a seventeen-year-old, but because she's scored some goals all of a sudden it's like she could be the great hope for, for New Zealand, but it's such a big ask for, for a young player who, you know, up until this year had never played single foot, like international football before. Um, so I'd say that's definitely like the big concern, but also, you know, just the way women's football has progressed over the last, even since the last World Cup, like New Zealand has sort of been left behind a wee bit. The Phoenix women's team, it almost came probably a World Cup cycle too late, Um because if you look at the players who are in that team that are likely to be in the football firms, well, they're sort of fringe players in there, you know, who are 19, 20, like Kate Taylor, um, Mackenzie Barry, those sort of players. So, yeah, I think if that team had been there four years earlier, you know, maybe there, there would be just more depth um, in this football firms team. But I just think as, as more countries are taking women's football seriously, like New Zealand football has just been left behind a wee bit. Scotty, what's the go? In, it was in short, because I think from here we're surprised when we don't see her starting, being a mainstay, being the key, because she's so she's historically been so good and so influential and, you know, a real key part of this football fern setup. What I know Claudia Bunge is super highly rated, but I mean you're shipping goals. What's what's the go defensively with New Zealand? Yeah, so um I guess the the big one with the defence straight off the bat is um Abby Ursig has seemingly retired. You know, well, she would be New Zealand's best player. Um and it's a bit of a mystery. Like, she hasn't said why she's not playing for New Zealand. Like, she's retired twice previously. This is number three. Um, all I know is from um, secondhand information, interviewing Maya Jackman, um, who was a former football fern, you know, one of the greatest players to play for New Zealand. She was in defence with, with Abby. And, and she basically said Abby just doesn't like playing for New Zealand anymore. And, and part of that is, I guess, because they are struggling and, you know, she plays at a high level, plays for teams that are doing well. That's a huge loss. Um, with Rebecca Stott, you know, she's obviously come, you know, come back from cancer. We sort of know that, but she had also struggled with, with injury. Um, I think it was like an ankle that she had mm. um, that really limited her minutes with, with Brighton this season. So um, when she's fit, um, yeah, she, she will start in that team. Like she started in the last international window as she sort of come back. But um it was quite interesting. She was partnered with Katie Bowen um, at centre back, and um, we've seen Katie Bowen play, you know, basically the whole season at centre back for for Melbourne City. But we sort of know her as a midfielder for for New Zealand, and and I I rate Claudia Bunge really highly. Like I think she's awesome. Um, and if I was picking the team, I would one hundred percent have her probably with Rebecca Stott. So mm. I, I think when yeah when they 
they play that game against Norway um, to begin the World Cup. Yeah, I think you will see Stott there. And, and to be honest, I, I personally have, have Claudia, but I think it'll be Katie Bowen next to her. I reckon Claudia's I'm interested. top player. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Angela? Look, there's three Vuck fans on this podcast too. Uh, yes, yeah. very much enjoy Claudia Bunge. Um, I was going to ask because you've mentioned like the, the Knicks coming in, that was perhaps a little bit too late. Um, this World Cup, it really feels, well, it's tangibly, there's more of a focus on legacy. There are other legacy frameworks in place as well. And that's definitely been a big thing here in Australia. But I'm interested in what the vibe is in New Zealand in terms of what is the next steps for New Zealand to capitalise on this tournament? Like what it is it the same things that we're sort of seeing here in terms of growing participation? Um, is there a focus on elevating the national team to the next level? Um, yeah, I guess the question is, yeah, what what's the legacy conversation been like at the moment? Yeah, well, one thing I'd like to see come from this tournament, um, the football firms have like a bit of an identity problem in New Zealand. You know, you look at the Matildas, such a big team in Australia. You've got Sam Kerr, an absolute superstar. It's easy to... Um, get people to go watch them play. The football fans barely ever play in New Zealand. There's no star player. Um, the players are spread out all around the world. You know, prior to the Phoenix being here, um, you know, yeah, you couldn't really go watch, you know, top-level women's football. Um, and I would like to see with this World Cup that people, you know, learn about who these big players are. They learn more about the football fans and actually, you know, this team can gain a bit of a following because, They've really been left behind by like the Silver Ferns netball team in the past. Um, you know, we've just come off hosting the Women's Cricket World Cup and Women's Rugby World Cup. And the rugby in particular, like the Black Ferns, they won it. They became household names like during that tournament. You know, Ruby Tui, who was sort of the face of that team, is, you know, one of the biggest sports stars in New Zealand at the moment. So I'm sort of hoping that, you know, maybe someone in the Football Ferns can either have a moment that catapults them into you know, a bit of the limelight here and, and just that team can can gain a bit of a following because I think if you walk down the street and just ask your average person, like, name a football firm, they probably couldn't. Um, you know, if you follow football, of course you could. But, um, yeah, there's just there's no one who just has any sort of star power behind them. Um, and I don't know what, the, what it's like in Australia, but here, like, the big message is, you know, no one knows what's coming, you know, in a, in a month's time. Because um, this is going to be such a big event, but... For the, the majority of people, yeah, I think women's football has just been really like off the radar. So to me, yeah, I think the legacy is more just going to be like, this is such a big event, such a big sport. You know, there are, you know, New Zealand players that are playing at high levels around the world. Um, but this is the chance to actually learn about that and, and I guess see it. Who can do it, Phil? Who can be the breakout player? Is it a Millie Clegg? Is it someone that just has a moment? Like, as you say, it's a, it feels like it's a few years behind the Matildas where you kind of need someone to just do the thing, like a Kerr or a Kaya Simon could do a few years ago and just capture the imagination. Who's the player? That's your tip. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd love it to be Millie Clegg, but it almost feels like it's just a bit too early for her. Like I say, she's still only 17. Um, you know, she has like, definitely like an eye for goal and a bit of X factor about her, something special that no other sort of player in New Zealand almost has, has ever had. Um, but, you know, whether she can actually impact this tournament playing against some pretty good international teams, I, I think it's probably a little bit too early for her. Someone who I think is really good, um, and I guess goalkeepers are never really like, yeah, you don't really know if goalkeepers being like star players, but I think Vic Essen um, is well, well and truly the number one for New Zealand now. You know, when she, I think when they played them at, Tilda's um, 
and they were just like under the pump for, for the entire time. She was pulling off all these amazing stops. Like she's someone who in a game against Norway, for example, say if she makes 10 amazing saves like, and they win the game or get a draw or something like she's someone who I think, um, yeah, people will be like, oh, wow, like that's actually a really good player. But um, yeah, because their problems are an attack. It's like the attackers are sort of the star, the star players. So it's, it's hard to say. I think Olivia Chance is a really good player um, for New Zealand and definitely sort of their main creative player. Um, so if she can either score a goal or, or set something up, um, I think she's someone who, who potentially could. But, um, yeah, maybe it's going to be one of the, the young players who just has this breakout tournament and, and they can really sort of announce themselves. I'm curious, Phil, about the, I guess, the general vibe in New Zealand about the tournament. Do you think, like, the the anonymity almost of the, the football fans is sort of affecting how people are getting excited for the tournament? Because, like, we're a month out, right? And even here in Australia, like, we're just sort of starting to see evidence that this thing is going to be happening what's the what's the vibe over there in terms of the tournament generally yeah it's funny because um i'd like to know what it's like in australia and like i guess a lot of the focus is around the matildas but for us it's, it's all the big stars that are coming here and and the fact that the u.s is going to be in new zealand for the whole well most of the tournament anyway um you know they're sort of the team that I think everyone's excited to, to see. And, and when they played those games here in January, um, they made like a big push to be like, we want to be New Zealand's second favourite team. And, and they probably will be because if the football fans don't get out of the group and the US are, are here for, for ages um, and are carving up, then, you know, it will be an easy team to, to sort of get behind. Um, yeah, so I think that sort of, everyone's excited about just, you know, this event being here and, and that's sort of the buzz around the World Cup rather than, you know, how the football fan's going to go. Um, and it would just be a bonus if they do do well. But I also think it could be a little bit deflating if they have a bad tournament because um, especially just coming off the back of a rugby World Cup where the Black Ferns won it. I know they're totally different sports, you know, and there's only a few good teams in rugby and New Zealand's one of them. Um, we're in football, there's lots of teams are good and we're not one of them, but... Um, there's sort of that just that comparison that this team won the World Cup. You know, how's New Zealand going to go? And and people who don't necessarily follow football too much will will have really high expectations that they need to almost, you know, have a big statement like that. Just on think- that, Phil, how big is bit the winning the winning factor? Like, I feel like for a lot of if it'd be the same here. Like the fact that the Matildas are good is what is really driving. Let's be honest, a lot of interest from from neutrals like. Even however, however realistic you think it is that they can win it or not, people have seen how far they can go and go far. Is it is it really just that it's held back so much by them not really being on the world stage? Like for example, how did, was the momentum when uh, the All Whites were you know in World Cup playoffs and that sort of thing? Do people tend to get behind the team when they're doing well or a chance to make a World Cup or a chance to make a splash with football? Is it kind of similar to here? Yeah, oh, it's definitely New Zealand's full of bandwagon fans, really. Um, but um, it's like any team, though, like um, we know that with, with the A-League, you know, if the Phoenix teams are performing well, you know, a lot more people will go watch the games from a media perspective. More people will read our stories. They'll be, um, they'll get more, like they'll be on the TV news, which, you know, football's not too much. Um, yeah, and that is definitely something that's holding the football fans back is if they're constantly struggling, if they're not getting goals, how do you get on TV? You know, like what's the highlight sort of moments that, you know, that's going to launch this team into to sort of the prime time and, and the limelight. So, um, 
Yeah, and I, I think because New Zealand's good at a lot of minority sports, you know, netball and, and rugby and things like that, that um, people people follow the All Blacks because they, they win all the time. Um, and, you know, if a team's not winning it, yeah, it's just it's way harder to compete. I was going to say, is there, we saw um, just this weekend gone like AFL player and, and boxer Taylor Harris step out in the Tillies kit at the big freeze. And I find it really interesting, those cross-code moments of sort of collaboration i think that was a branding thing surely that was like nike driven but um i'm interested is do you think there's any scope for that kind of thing in new zealand to kind of instead of yeah push push women's sport forward and have those moments of it's a bit of a vague question but yeah because just what you were saying about rugby dominating so much of people's attention and not being able to take away from that in a way yeah but i also like there's definitely that element where they could capitalize on that a lot more um there was a member of the black ferns team that won the rugby world cup last year that was a new zealand age group football international growing up and um her name's renee holmes and she played in um i don't know if it was like under 17s or under 20s with players like michaela foster she was at football ferns training recently like they got her in like i'm talking about like a week ago um but there was no sort of media opportunity like around that. And I think that would have been perfect because, you know, she could talk about what it was like playing at a World Cup at home just last year, winning it. In fact, she played football with these players. You know, it's a great story. Um, but, yeah, they're just not sort of capitalising on, on what, to me, seemed like such an, an obvious story that any like media organisation in New Zealand would have, would have picked up. Um, when the Rugby World Cup final was on, the football ferns were playing South Korea in Christchurch and... Um, I remember just seeing on, on social media, like all the, the football fans watched that together in like their team home hotel. And when they then won the World Cup, some of the players came down to Christchurch and brought like the, the medals to to show the football fans and, and things like that. But um, yeah, like, so it's happening, but it's, it's up to New Zealand football to sort of tell those stories and, and get them out there, I think. Phil, I want to hear your thoughts on the group. You've talked about the Philippines game being a big one. How, you, how have you looked at the group? We know that there's some, obviously, um, the Philippines coached by former Matildas coach Alan Stajic. They've just got Angie Beard, another one across. This feels like the group of, um, of Aussies um, in New Zealand with, obviously, India Page Riley. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts as well on whether Ali Green will make the squad after being out of favour a little bit since her switch. Um, but, yeah, how, how do you see this group playing out where uh, New Zealand poised to, to sort of finish in it? Yeah, well, if you look at the rankings, New Zealand's like the third-ranked team, and, and that's probably how they go into the tournament, is being that team that could beat the Philippines but will probably lose to, to Norway and Switzerland. Could be like an extremely hot take here that I have that I think Norway could actually go on and do extremely well, which is crazy to think because they lost to England 8-0 at the Euros. But No, the- I'm with you on this, Phil. I, I think they're stinging. I, they're my tip to go out and just like get yeah. really angry and smash teams. Because like, to me, like um, you know, I've followed international women's football a lot more since we've had the World or since we've got the hosting rights for the World Cup. Um, and to me, like Caroline Graham Hansen's like one of the best players in the world. Like she's she's awesome. Um, and you just look at like the attackers that that Norway have. Like, yeah, I think and, and the results have definitely you know picked up since the Euros have changed coach. Um, I think they could be a real force. Um, but because their first game against New Zealand is that opening game of the tournament. You know, could the football firms like really sort of get up for that game? And even just like getting a draw out of that could could really change the outlook on the like you know 
draw there, beat the Philippines. You almost could be out of the group at that point and then, you know, go to Dunedin and, and play Switzerland um, and maybe a, a draw or win there. Um, could be super ambit, like optimistic, like thinking about that. But um, yeah, to me, like Norway, just look hands down the team that should win that that group. Um, and Switzerland probably will get second. But um, yeah, and I, yeah, I, I am a little bit concerned about the Philippines though. You know, you talk about... Um, you know, like just the way that I've improved under under stage, like uh, doing so good. Um, Angie Beard's like a great addition to to that team as well. Um, you know, we've seen how you know Serena Bolden did in in, in the A League, and, and you almost like compare Western Sydney Wanderers to to the Phoenix in the season. As soon as they brought in her, like they just took off. Where the Phoenix really lacked having a striker, and that's almost like what the football ferns are like. They don't don't have a striker that's going to score a lot of goals. So it's a little bit scary that. The Philippines potentially do, um, yeah. And there's a few questions in there. So with Ali Green, it's an interesting one because I thought for sure like he'd be a great addition to the football ferns. Um, you know, it was in a Sydney team that was doing really well. Um, she really struggled for opportunities um, since she went to Europe um, and then joined up with the football ferns. And it was a really strange scenario where she played against the US, and they started her. They finally gave her a start, but at right back. And Yitka hooked her after like half an hour because Mallory Swanson was just like having a field day down the left. And then um, as soon as they made the change, they the, the player who came on then went to left back and then they moved someone else to the right back. And I was just thinking like you didn't like this was the chance to finally give Ali Green a, a shot in her preferred position. And and then she hasn't really featured for the team ever since. But um like she's still in the mix at the moment. She's coming back to New Zealand, I think, um, to be sort of part of the wider group. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not super optimistic that she'll make it, um, just purely from what I've seen, the lack of opportunity she's got. And I think Michaela Foster's really taken her opportunities and, and looks to be almost like a lock for the squad and, and could even start at left back, which is pretty crazy because the captain, Ali Riley, is a, a left back as well. Where does Ali Riley start if Foster goes first? Or do you have that approach of captain without necessarily being on the field and I know it's, it's a weird one because you, you really need that leadership with Erseg pulling the pin again yeah I think well the the, the good thing for the football fans is Ali Riley often plays right back for Angel City so she can definitely play on the right but then CJ Bott is a right back and she's one of the few players that plays in the um well plays in England so um they're almost like yeah got a bit of a problem there but I think you could play CJ Bott in the wing and fiddle three in but I think Michaela Foss is so dangerous with her set piece that that's all like you need to have her on the field because like she could just set up a goal from a corner. That just could be the difference. That could be like New Zealand's route to getting a, a goal. So um it's gonna be really fascinating how they how they juggle that. I still think Ellie Riley will start, but um yeah, it could mean playing CJ Bott as a as a winger, which which she has like done for New Zealand before. Um, you know, she's can score goals from from all over the place so you know maybe it's going to be like the best best chance of, of scoring but um yeah gonna be interesting so another another question phil in terms of i guess the tournament more generally like one of the great things about australia new zealand co-hosting this is that it's the first time that we're seeing uh first nations sort of culture and language being incorporated into the official branding like place names and the the designs for um some of the like the really beautiful artworks um, how is that being viewed in New Zealand? Because you've got a, a much stronger 
it seems, um, relationship in terms of Maori history and culture being embedded in modern New Zealand compared to Australia. How is that element of the World Cup being, I guess, embraced over there? Yeah, well, because um, New Zealand's like made a big push to mention like the Maori names of every city as well as the English names as well. Um, yeah, which I think is cool. Like that's how it should be. And I think there's a big push for that in New Zealand at the moment is, you know, yeah, em embracing like the Maori names of, you know, every every place in New Zealand. Um, yeah, I think with, with football, because there's not too many Maori players like even in the you know, in the New Zealand squad, like it's always like quite underrepresented, uh, underrepresented in um, in football. Um, but there's a few players like Grace Jale, um, even Paige Satchel, and um, Malia Steinmetz is um, Samoan. Claudia Bunges, um, part Maori as well. So like, there's there's like a few players now coming through in the in the football ferns, which I think is pretty cool. And and they've all been, um, you know, like really sort of pushing like. The fact that they want to be role models for for young Maori players growing up, um, yeah. Because we went to there's like a school as part of the legacy program. There's like the school, um, the school program that they're sort of doing, which is teaching kids about the World Cup and um, you know some of the stars that are coming here and, and learning about um, you know, leadership through sport and things like that. And I've made a big effort to include um, like Turo Maori as part of that as well. Um, so it's definitely like a big thing that's happening in the schools in New Zealand. So I think it's quite, yeah, just reflective of New Zealand society at the moment that we are trying to embrace Maori culture a lot more. And it's good to see, I think, because, um, yeah, like the, the world's going to be going to be watching the country. So um, I think it's good to, yeah, to, to show sort of who we are as a country. Phil, have you got any insight into how like local communities are handling having say training camps and stuff there? Because I know, for example, here like there's some suburbs where they're like, "Oh my God, we've got the Moroccan national team coming and they're training here." This is Werribee in um, Melbourne's west. They're like, "This is the biggest deal. This team is here with us and they are training here and they are using our facilities and this is great." And everyone in the, in the local community is just losing their minds about how great it is. Um, I don't think it's the same for everywhere in Australia, but there's certainly certain pockets where they're like, this is our little team and we are claiming them. And, you know, that's, that's it seems to be beyond maybe, especially if you don't have access to a Matildas, for example, like if you're in Perth or Adelaide, where you're not going to get those games, these are the teams that you're getting. Like you sort of alluded to it with the US. Has there been any sort of real um, vibes coming from certain areas where they're like, this is our team. We've got this one. This is our moment. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I remember um, I was living in um, Nelson, a smaller sort of, um, city in the top of the South Island when the Men's Rugby World Cup was held um, and there were games there and you know I think the US were there and they were doing like a street parade for the US and like it really sort of embraced it as like you know yeah like we are hosting this team um, we're with the um, you know the FIFA Women's World Cup a lot of the teams are still in the big cities um, the one that's really funny is Spain or is in Palmerston North which is um, for anyone who doesn't know it's a two hours drive north of um, Wellington um, the Phoenix men's team played Perth Glory at a um, venue that doubles as a speedway with like a dirt um, track they call it the ring of dirt um, do, they, do they play and, between the apple fields and things like that where all the backpackers are picking fruit and... well this is like the most bogan venue of, um, that you would have ever would, like do you know any form of doubles as a speedway like I've, it's insane um, but anyway that's, that's so the funny. That's the that's the town that's hosting Spain. So like the Ballon d'Or winner is going to be in Palmerston North. 
staying for the World Cup. And I remember Orphic Tele, the Phoenix men's coach, was like, um, he goes, there's no hotels in Palmerston North. They're all motels. So like we're all going to be staying in motels when we, we when they were staying up there, which was, it was quite funny. But um, yeah, so you're going to have like Alexia Pateas potentially like, yeah, in Palmerston North. And I think they will really embrace it because they're going to have such a big team there. Um, and it's going to be interesting, like the way that sort of plays out with Spain, because, um, you know, obviously there's lots of issues going on, but, you know, maybe for them being in a smaller place, like away from, you know, some of the media might, might be a good thing for, for them um yeah for because i'm in, in wellington and sweden are going to be here and like that's a cool cool team to to have but um yeah they're not um it's not too many teams that are going into like small smaller places i think the netherlands are in um in, in tauranga um which is yeah like it you know it's a, it's a nice nice part of the country um and like i guess it'll be pretty cool for them but yeah i think i think palmy will be stoked on on having spain there sure i can see they might not have any hotels (laughs) Uh, they don't have any hotels but they do have at least two mcdonald's now that's culture yeah well palmerston north like actually has a university which is it's like um in wellington uh new zealand's like the five main centers auckland hamilton wellington christchurch and dunedin and palmerston north is like the one that has a university that's not part of that um so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting it's gonna require me to drive there a few times during the world cup which is sort of annoying because it's so far away but um yeah i i would love to know what what alexia pateas is going to do on her on her days off in palmerston north <laughs> i was going to ask uh, actually did you have any <laughs> yeah. uh do you have any tips or um advice for people who are traveling through New Zealand for the tournament, people who might be visiting. Yes. Um, yeah. Cause we've done some, some, a, sh- a short segment on some things to do in Australia, but yeah, if there's any advice you can give to folks visiting beautiful. Okay, well, the, the first bit, of, the first bit of advice is, is going to be winter here in New Zealand. So um, it, it's going to be cold, um, which I don't know if too many people, like even the US, like when they were here in January, it was like the height of summer. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a lot different when they they come. Um, you know, Dunedin's going to be hosting some games over the world's steepest street. So um, you know, you could go um, check that out. I don't know if you saw as part of the hundred days to go that um, like the greatest um, event was there where they rolled all these balls down Baldwin Street, the steepest street in the world, um, and they all had names of each country on there to see who would win and. Um, you should definitely check out the footage, like just Google, um, you know, 100 Days to Go, FIFA Women's World Cup, Baldwin Street. The balls went so slow down the hill. Like, I, I think that, like, however slow you think they're going to go down, they go way slower. And, it, like, it's such a drawn-out process. Like, I think they even had to move the finish line because they just weren't going to make it. Um, but spoiler, spoiler alert, Italy won, so I don't know whether it's going <laughs> to go deep into the tournament or not. But, um yeah, that would definitely be. Um, so if you if anyone's making the trip to Dunedin, I'd, I'd highly recommend. Um, you know, a walk up Baldwin Street. New Zealand's version of Paul the Octopus, Baldwin Street. <laughs> yeah. Do we have any final questions for Phil? Uh, Phil, who do you think is going to win the World Cup? Um, great question. Um, I yeah, I'm going to go. 
I'm going to go Sweden. Um, I know I said Norway. Uh, it could be a great tournament for the Scandinavian teams, perhaps. But um, I think Sweden are just like sneaking under the radar, and a lot of the big nations are losing players to to big injuries. Um, when the US were here, like I, I was like, oh, Mallory Swanson is going to be the golden boot. Like she's so good. Um, and then she suffered like a very terrible injury, like pretty much like after I just predicted her to to do that. Thing as well. So um, you're the one who cursed. So <laughs> Good luck. All yeah. the very best to Sweden then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch out, guys. But, um, yeah, I think if you just look at their team, like, um, you know, Friolina Rolfo just scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. Um, they're coming in number two in the world, which, you, yeah, they just seem to be really, un, like, under underrated. Um, and I think with just injuries happening to, to big players that they are a team that, that could just have the quality to, to go all the way. Um. Yeah, and I think Norway just have a good group as well, like so they should make it out. But I think England's injuries are just it's gonna be too much for them. And, and Australia for sure, like at home, you know, I think Matilda's were really really good chance as well. You seem to have found some form as well, heading into the tournament. And like Spain, you know, they've got some great players, but they also have some great players that aren't gonna be there. Um and they could implode. You know, France and Germany could could do quite well. I think it's like, yeah, I think it's going to be the European teams and I, I'll just, I'll go Sweden. I love it. I, I, I'm just going to say this on the record. I still think Norway are frauds. Like you read their <laughs> squad list and you're like, you guys should be good. And then they never are. So if Which I'm wrong. Which batter the group stage. And if I'm wrong, yeah. whatever. But yeah. at this stage, I'm like, you guys are frauds. Um, come at me, Norway. No, can, Tiny country. Yeah. I kind of like agree. Like I kind of can see that too. It's like they're so good. Like how did that team lose eight nil at the Euros? But um, I guess like defensively, like that's where their their problems are. So if they can sort that, um, but just look at um, just everyone who's been in the conversation for Player of the Year in, in England is like seems to be Norwegian. So um, yeah, I I think they're gonna have like a really good really good squad, and and there's no one in that group that should trouble them. So. Um, yeah. Full steam ahead. We will wait and see. But first of all, thank you so much, Phil, for joining us. Where can people find your work during the Women's World Cup? Um, so, yeah, on stuff.co.nz, which is like a very generic sort of name, you know, just stuff. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's going to be like we've already had heaps of World Cup copy, um, like we're putting lots of effort into it. So, um You'll even be able to, if, for the people who are in New Zealand, like you can even um, watch some of the games live streamed on there as well as part of our partnership with, with Sky Sport New Zealand, which is pretty cool. So um, it's going to keep me busy for the next month or so, but um, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be lots of fun. We can't wait to read your stuff. So thank you for joining us. And obviously, thank you all for listening. This was our first preview pod. We've got the rest of the groups to go. We will have special guests joining us for every preview. So we cannot wait to crack into them. As always, though, we're on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe so you get the episodes directly into your feed. If you want to have a chat to us, we are at The Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, stayers.